Specialty Story, session number 156. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm so excited you've taken some time to join me today. I have an amazing guest here on Specialty Stories today. And if you are new to Specialty Stories, this podcast is all about helping you understand the different specialties that are available to physicians as you are going through medical school and getting ready to apply to residencies, really understanding what is out there, what that path looks like for each specialty, some of the pros and cons for each of the specialty, and really what drew each of these physicians that I have on the podcast to their field to see if there's something maybe that sparks an interest in you. Today, I have a great guest, Dr. Jessica Bartfield, who is the director of the fellowship program in obesity medicine at Wake Forest Baptist Health. Dr. Bartfield is going to talk about her journey to obesity medicine, what she likes about it, what she doesn't like about it, and much, much more. Hope you enjoy this episode. And don't forget to check out the ending where I tell you to find out or tell you how to find out a little bit more about obesity medicine. We start the conversation by talking about how Dr. Bartfield was initially drawn to obesity medicine. My interest started um, actually during medical school. Um, I had a preceptor, um, uh, one of the faculty who was in the housed in the uh, gastroenterology department at the time, uh, but she was internal medicine trained only. She never did a fellowship in GI and she worked with one of the GI, um, uh, physicians to run essentially what, what we would now consider an obesity medicine practice. Um, it was still at a time point when the field was very much in its infancy and wasn't really an established, you know, subspecialty. Um, but she had a very strong passion for this area um, and really emphasized how so many of the internal medicine um, bread and butter diseases that we treat. So things like high blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol, stroke, heart disease, um, essentially had a common potential cause, um, or certainly an aggravating factor of excess weight. And that the number of patients that we were seeing with excess weight and um, obesity, and particularly severe obesity, just seemed to continue to increase. So she would always you know, really try to emphasize the importance of addressing this and how much uh, impact patients could have on their health with behaviors, Um, you know, not even really necessarily um, significant amounts of weight loss, but just, you know, losing that five, five to seven to 10 percent could really improve their health and that, that, you know, they had the power to do that um, if we could, if we could help them um, change those behaviors. So she was the first uh, probably influence. And then when I was in doing internal medicine residency, um, I was lucky enough to be paired with my kind of primary care practice preceptor did research in obesity and mainly around um, inequalities in healthcare access in patients with obesity. Um, But um, she seemed to have 
you know, more patients in, in kind of her patient panel. And so um, I was able to help manage that and started to see, okay, how do you actually put this into practice? And she was the one who directed me then into a dedicated career in this field, rather than my thinking, which was to go into something like endocrine or gastroenterology and and try to create a niche. She said that, you know, more and more, it's it, there are some fellowships that are um, specialty training just in this field and that you could have kind of that dedicated um, practice. So yeah. I kind of asked around and, and <laughs> looked into some different programs and rotated through as some electives and was able to to secure that path. So it worked out really well. It's amazing that just the, the sheer number of physicians who I talk to that really you end up where you had the most exposure and who your mentors or what your mentors were exposing you to. There's so few physicians that I talk to who are like, this is my field because I've known since a young age that I was just, I was really interested in this. It's like, no, like I had a mentor and and that's what I was exposed to. And my preceptor, that's what they studied. And so I got really interested in it. And it's so interesting. Yeah, no, I think when I first thought medicine, I thought pediatrics. Then when I um, actually landed in med school, um, you know, I went through, I thought OB for a while. I really liked neurology. Um, and, and then when I decided internal medicine, sometimes I think it was probably just because I couldn't make a decision on one specific organ mm-hmm. system or specialty. Yep. So I thought, well, I'll start broad and then maybe, you know, specialize, but, um, yeah, yeah it, it's amazing the influence that your teachers can have and your, um, you know, your faculty and, and even a short exposure of working with someone for only, you know, a couple of weeks, um, it can, it can really be, uh, something that you walk away from. Um, and that's very contagious, especially when you meet someone who has such an interest and a passion for what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's the goal is to really enjoy what you do. So what are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions around obesity medicine? I think, um, first, the probably the greatest myth is is just the the kind of validity of it in the sense of um, I think most clinicians um, uh, trying to treat patients with obesity, I think it's the idea of the futility. You know, do we have good treatments and are they sustainable? Um, I think there's a a lot of bias against even obesity medications, um, you know, devices, surgeries, even though we've had tremendous growth and development in this field over the past, you know, 10, 15 years. I mean, we've had five medications that have now been FDA approved and we're getting much better with the surgical techniques and the outcomes. Um, I think the idea is the fact, can they, can these really work in and are they long-term because the weight loss is usually um, achieved and usually um, um, what we expect. But the long-term weight loss maintenance, um, that's where, you know, we're kind of turning more attention to. And I think that's what is still the misconception that it's inevitable people will regain the weight or that the medications don't really work or that they're unsafe. Um, or that, um, you know, they kind of um, have more harm than benefit, that type of thing. When you look at the rates of delivery of obesity treatments compared to something like diabetes, we're, we're still significantly um, lapsing um, and far behind in terms of 
you know, about maybe two to three percent of patients who qualify for um, obesity medication are being prescribed that therapy, whereas, you know, 85 percent of patients with diabetes are, are getting appropriate therapy. So I think that's the misconception in just the terms of, of what do we have for treatments? Um, are they safe and are they sustainable? It's interesting that that's where you went with myths and misconceptions. One of the things that I hear a lot is, well, obesity is just, it's a, it's an effort thing, right? It's, it's just a behavior. lifestyle behavior and, and yep. a lot of students, and, and maybe that was the thinking 15, 20 years ago, even in the medical field, but we, we're learning more and more about all the variables that go into obesity. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's not just calories in calories out, right? <laughs> As kind yes, of the, the old exactly. basic formula of uh, mm-hmm. what, what is your, your thought process around that to, to help a student who maybe an amazing obesity medicine specialist, but has that mindset of, well, they're they're just not exercising enough or they're lazy or stop eating McDonald's all the time. Right. Right. How do you, how do you help a student understand that there's, it's so much more than that and maybe pique their interest in in looking at it now? Yeah. um, I think, and, and you're exactly right in terms of it's, it's probably not just students because there's still certainly even experts in the field who argue it's, it's not a disease, even though, and it took until, 2013 for even um, the American Medical Association to designate it and Medicare to recognize it and payers to recognize it as a disease. So um, that is a common thought. And mm-hmm. what I would encourage, um, you know, students to to kind of with any type of interest or or um, or those who want to go into an area where um, patients with obesity are going to be, you know, common in their practice, particularly, you know, endocrine or cardiology or any of that. Um, it is the complexity. So when you look into the causes and, and, you know, this is always described as kind of an iceberg, meaning we have no idea about what's underneath. We're just seeing probably a, a fraction of the causes and we, in our understanding um, that diet and exercise and kind of those behaviors are a part, but they're the really the main modifiable factors that we have. And there are so many other causes that often we can't modify. And so it's almost like, though, those are the cards that the patient was dealt and not that it's inevitable, but that there are patients who face significant challenges maintaining their weight um, and the complexities that go into weight loss and sustaining that are even, you know, kind of to a greater degree of understanding why the risk of weight regain is so high. So, so for example, um, the genetic link to obesity has been very well established. And so um, people who have, you know, one parent with obesity um, are already looking at probably a 50% higher risk of obesity themselves. If that, if both parents have obesity, then their risk goes up to 85 to 90%. We've identified genes that are linked to a higher propensity towards um, obesity. Um, we've identified, um, you know, interuterine factors, um, environmental factors, um, sleep and how that affects uh, weight. Um, we know certainly comorbidities, um, other medical problems, other um, psychological issues that can impact weight. We know hormonal changes and some people have, you know, different levels of hormones that regulate appetite, regulate weight. Um, The neurons, the neural kind of circuitry, the brain control of all of this is is very um, complex and, and 
the highly variable in individuals where kind of the ability for impulse control, the, the response to food, you know, some people can look at, um, you know, a food that some be like a cupcake and kind of take it or leave it or enjoy it and be done with it. And some people just kind of have that very strong sense of reward, that hedonistic response, um, which may lead them to be more vulnerable to overeating. Um, there's just so many different factors, uh, which makes it a fascinating field. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would really encourage anyone that that tends to kind of skew oh, its more behaviors just to try to ask or learn or look into um you know, some of these other causes that have been identified. And, and I think um, they'll appreciate that it's not a matter of willpower and it's not a matter of eat less and move more. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. So what are some strong traits or good traits that you've seen either yourself or with, with residents or fellows or, or your colleagues have that, that really make them good obesity medicine specialists? Um, so I think first and foremost, probably the, again, just interest in this, in this field and kind of that, that desire to, um, because this is still such a new field, I think that, um, patients or, um, clinicians in this field tend to be pretty highly self-motivated. Um, the path is getting easier in terms of kind of knowing how to get into this field and the fellowships are established. Um, I think we're up to, um, close to 20 now, which is awesome. There's board certification, you know, you, so you can, so, so that's much easier to obtain. Um, but I think still that self-motivation to kind of figure out, okay, well, how do I get into that and getting that exposure earlier? So for example, when I was a med student, I had essentially one lecture given by, you know, my said mentor. Um, but then I was lucky enough to be in her small group where we weren't really talking obesity medicine, but, you know, it was able to interact with her and talk with her and kind of, you know, hear her experience in the field. Um, we're getting better with that. So for example, at um, Wake, we offer um, a fourth year med student elective where they can come in and, and spend, you know, a dedicated three weeks um, um, in with us doing obesity medicine. So I think that they tend to try to seek out those experiences. Um, I think patients who like the idea of uh, counseling and motivational interviewing and helping patients, you know, kind of identify um, what are their goals, what's motivating them, you know, what do they want to change um, it's, it's, it's a very different type of medicine that you practice. You know, you're not necessarily just writing a prescription. You're not just doing a procedure. Um, I think people who like long-term relationships with their patients. So people who enjoy kind of seeing people frequently, you know, you're usually seeing um, your patients on a monthly basis. And even when they lose the weight, you're, you're maintaining that follow-up care at least every three to four months, you know, checking in, making sure that the weight's staying managed. And I think students that really like the idea of, um, you know, kind of transformative medicine, right? The idea that you're trying to, change someone's life um in order to improve their health so going after kind of that root core rather than again just treating one specific disease so you do want to be be able to appreciate knowledge um the sense of treating kind of that whole body approach too yeah when you're 
taking care of patients. I mean, one of the the questions that I typically ask is what types of patients are usually treating? But it's it's it seems kind of silly to ask that question because it's obesity medicine, right? So you're you're treating obesity, but it, part of me wonders like are you turning into the primary care physician for these patients or are you acting more as a consultant? What is what is the role there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um because again, with this field, some some practitioners, some clinicians do say, hey, you know what, I really enjoy primary care. I want to do, I want to incorporate obesity medicine into my practice or even some endocrinologists or um, uh, OBGYNs, you know, decide they want to do both. But for people who truly want to do obesity medicine, um, so someone like myself or other, other obesity medicine specialists, we are only doing obesity medicine. I do, I make it very clear to my patients that I do not replace their primary care doctor. I do not, um, you know, take over their care. Um, now, there are some blurred lines with that because of the crossover of typically, you know, these patients are coming in with other comorbidities that mm-hmm. tend to change when they lose weight. So I do make kind of the, uh, it understood that as we, progress with your obesity treatment, should things like your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your diabetes change, or if I think that there's a um, kind of a better weight neutral medication for your depression, or, you know, I'm worried about a medication causing weight gain, and I want to recommend a change, that I still think um, covers my role. Um, But I think the key is to make sure that you're in good communication with their primary care doctor or provider. Um, whether it be a physician extender or nurse practitioner or something like that, um, because I I don't want them thinking, well, she's you know going to uh, manage um, the primary care of this patient as as we're doing obesity treatment. So, no, it has now become a very defined field. You're managing comorbidities that are common in primary care, but you you know truly in this in this niche, you do not become the primary care provider. Yeah, are obesity medicine specialists working hand in hand with bariatric surgeons taking care of post-op patients as well, working through their, their sleeves and bypasses and stuff like that. More and more, most um, bariatric uh, centers will um, have on an obesity medicine specialist in some capacity. So most of them do try to have a um, MD that is kind of board certified or, you know, fellowship trained. Um, some will have nurse practitioners who manage the medical kind of piece of it, but there has been some good evidence and some data to show that kind of the preoperative management of patients prior to surgery and then that postoperative management as well in conjunction um, provides the best outcomes. And more and more, we're doing combination therapy, meaning that patients will have uh, bariatric surgery, but we still may utilize obesity medications with them at some point um, just to help, again, improve their um, success or if there's any relapse and weight regain, you know, then we can we can utilize the medical aspects as well. Um, and that's a great area of interest of mine is nutritional deficiencies. And so, you know, I would encourage um, anyone who has an interest in that as well um, to kind of uh, look into this field because there's there's some great opportunity to understand um, vitamin mineral deficiencies, um, issues with osteoporosis, you know, some of these other long-term complications that may come with bariatric surgery. Um, so it's a, it's, you usually are working with the surgeons and it's, and it's kind of of a neat, um, a neat, neat ability to do so because the, you do get to have 
that balance and, and a little bit more appreciative of, of what the anatomy does as well. Yeah. For students who love working with their hands and doing procedures, is there any role for that in OBCD medicine? Yeah, so that actually is um, becoming more and more common as well. And there are now certain obesity medicine fellowships who will have in their curriculum um, opportunities for uh, device. So, for example, so someone who didn't want to do surgery, but like the idea of procedures, there are now more um, devices being developed with endoscopy um, and different things that don't require surgery. And so that could very well, you know, be something that someone who's interested in more the medical side, but wants to do maybe some extra training and be able to do some procedures. Um, There's certainly many medical physicians who are not surgeons, but are doing, you know, kind of, even though the lap band is becoming less and less common, they still may utilize patients and and help with um, filling the band and things like that. Um, So there are some opportunities if you don't want to go the surgical route um, where you could still have have uh, procedures incorporated into your practice, particularly if you if you did one of those dedicated um, fellowships with that. So it's that's really exciting, I think, to be able to do. What does call look like for you? Uh, So um, I think for myself, the um, kind of work-life balances was also one of the appeals to this field. I'm kind of never on call, but in the same sense, I guess I'm always on call um, (laughs) in that uh, I don't take call. Um, But should one of my patients, for example, have maybe like a medication reaction or something like that, then obviously, you know, they would call um, probably the hospital and central um, um, and ask to have me contacted. Uh, It's happened maybe twice in about seven years. So um, pretty, pretty rare. Usually, again, none of this is, you know, kind of um, emergent type of care. Um, None of this is really life-threatening type of um, treatments that we're using. So, and and for the surgery patients, um, because I don't follow them myself, like there are some other internal medicine, um, OBC medicine specialists who, who may follow the patients closer post-op and in the hospital and make it, you know, have, have kind of be involved with that immediate post-op care. I myself am not. So, um, so it's, it's usually kind of more, um, clinical, uh, uh, clinic-based care and not, not really requiring call, which is great. Not nights, not weekends, that type of thing. So, yeah. What um, for for students who the the buzzword these days is work life balance, which I don't know if that truly exists. But what uh, what does it look not, like? Not anymore with telehealth. Now it's all <laughs> no. Yes. Um, for for life outside of the hospital, what does that look like for you? And do you feel like you have enough life outside of the hospital? I do. Um, you know, and I think, again, that's one of um, when I talk with, you know, my own friends from kind of med school and residency um, or fellowship or um, when I kind of read these things about other fields in medicine, I think this field gives you that. I think you could almost choose to essentially work as hard as you wanted to or as I guess, you know, or not hard as you wanted to. Um, I think there's plenty of opportunities to, to be, you know, a leader in um, clinical practice, in um, education, in research, you know, in policymaking. I mean, there's just so many different areas that you can do with this training and this type of 
background and and kind of fill your plate as much as you want. Um, or, you know, you could say, I just really want to do patient care and clinical practice um, and kind of set those hours and and set that as your as your main piece of, of, of your job duties and responsibilities. And then you know, kind of set it with what you want. You can go into academics, you could go into a community um, practice, you could become part of, you know, some BC medicine specialists will join orthopedic practices because of that requirement to be at a certain, you know, below uh, body mass index in order to have your joint replaced. So they may work specifically on helping those patients with weight loss to get ready for a surgery and to maintain it after their, their joint replacement. Um, the opportunities, there's, there's a, there is, um, it's tremendous. And I think, again, really able to tailor what type of career um, and, and what level of demand and intensity you want. Um, I think there's, there's a wide range there that, that uh, students could choose from. Yeah. What does the training path look like to become an obesity medicine specialist? So uh, the typical training is a residency in either internal medicine or family member medicine. And then um, obviously those trying to do the board certification in those. Um, then you would want to sit for the American Board of Obesity Medicine. Um, as of now, for that, there are two different pathways. There is a CME-based pathway where you have to accrue a certain number of CME hours and kind of um, prove and validate those. And then you can go ahead and register and sit for the exam. Or there's the fellowship-trained pathway, which I strongly recommend um, just from my own experience and from the experience of what I know other fellowships are providing. And kind of different career paths that, um, you know, colleagues in this field that I know have done. I think it just gives you a much richer, um, much deeper breadth of education and training. Um, you get that actual hands-on ability to appreciate the complexities, um, kind of go to a higher level of treatment, you know, more complex patients, um, more advanced practices with use of medications and devices, you know, establishing um, those relationships with the surgeons and managing um, kind of joint, you know, care of, of those patients, um, more education, more research opportunities. So I would encourage anyone with an interest in this to, there's the Obesity Medicine um, Fellowship Council website, which, um, you know, you can find by just even Googling how to, you know, obesity medicine fellowships, essentially, and looking into the different programs that are out there, um, looking into the American Board of Obesity Medicine and seeing the curriculum that it covers. Um, and then certainly talking. And if there's anyone at your institution that is um, has any connection to obesity medicine, you know, getting some names and reaching out. Most experts that I know in the field and myself included, I, I get extremely excited when I um, am contacted by someone that has an interest and wants to learn the path. But typically it's the residency in internal medicine or family medicine, and then trying to become board certified um, in the American Board of Obesity Medicine, my strong recommendation would be to be doing an obesity medicine fellowship, which is usually on average just an extra year after residency. And you're the program director for the fellowship there? I am. Yes. Yep. So we are on our um, third 
year of fellowship here at Wake. Um, and so we've had one of our graduates stay on for academic. Um, one is um, going back to private practice um, and the current one did an endocrine fellowship and is now um, tacking on a year of obesity medicine. He wants to kind of create that um, a particular niche with combining both. So, um, so it's, it's been great. And I think again, with that extra year of training and what, um, our institution, I know the other institutions that offer fellowships, we're all trying to have a standardized kind of, um, curriculum so that we can be confident that we're training the fellows, um, similarly and, and having that, that standard and the high standard of care and, and level of expertise. What should a what should a resident be doing to to make themselves stand out to to match into a obesity medicine fellowship um, experience? So I typically look for someone again because I think a strong interest in this field is 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 key um, uh, and you know a true appreciation of this as a disease and of this as a specific field in of itself. So um, any experience you can gain, whether it be research, whether it be an elective, whether it be a, a visiting elective, maybe doing extra um, time in a field connected to obesity. So again, something like diabetes or um, NASH clinic or, you know, fatty, fatty liver disease, something like that. Um, and then again, that strong kind of uh, initiative. So reaching out, contacting someone. I mean, when patient, when uh, a student, you know, sends me an email and says, "Hey, I've signed up for the elective, and I'm really excited." I mean, obviously, I think that speaks volumes um, rather than than kind of just applying and and you know, kind of not um, just checking the boxes. So yeah. I think any kind of experience is great. And and just to clarify for the student listening who may, may not have heard that right, not MASH clinic like the old TV show, like Vietnam, <laughs> but NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. <laughs> exactly. Yes. yes. Thanks okay. for clarifying. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need you going overseas. Uh, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Okay. Interesting. For... The future primary care physician out there who's not going to go into an obesity medicine fellowship, what do you want them to know about obesity medicine or about what you do with your patients to help them take care of their patients and maybe get their patients to see you sooner or just to help you overall? Yeah. So um, I think number one, just just know that this field exists um, and that, that there are really good treatments and that there are specialists out there um, and know that over and over studies show that that primary care providers um, who discuss um, and counsel patients about their weight, their patients lose more weight. So you can absolutely plant the seed and you in, you know, even if your comfort level or you don't want to be prescribing meds or you don't, you don't even feel comfortable necessarily recommending surgery, you know, just like you would anything else, um, refer as early as you can, um, and, and whenever you can, um, and, and maybe, you know, try to find, if you don't have one in your institution, you know, find one the nearest one um, and to at least have that referral basis. Um, and I think, you know, kind of knowing that, you know, I'm in a unique position in the sense that I have the luxury where patients come to me wanting to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And it's very different when you have to initiate that conversation 
And so I think this, the right along with the idea of knowing that you can refer and that you should refer. And, you know, earlier, the, the better with patients is knowing how to just start that conversation. And usually one of the best tactics is just, you know, asking permission. Um, I think if you don't know what else to say, I think one of the best things to say is just, are you okay if we talk about your weight? Yeah. Or, you know, do you mind if I, you know, ask you, have you had any concerns about your weight or how your weight affects your health or something like that? But just having that, um, you know, having that kind of one liner that you use over and over again to initiate the conversation and then um, referring, um, knowing that the referral is out there, that the field exists and that, it, you know, there are excellent valid treatments and that we are happy to kind of take over the care because unfortunately the, the training in primary care and the practice of it, you know, they're, they're, they're tackling plenty um, with their patients. So to really give that in-depth, intense treatment that's needed, particularly for patients with severe obesity, um, I just think it's, it's really challenging to do in the primary care setting. And so um, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to help. Yeah. I don't know if there are many physicians out there who think that nutrition is covered well in medical school. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. with all of the training that you've received, you probably are, are much more read up on nutrition. Where can a student go or a medical student go or a resident go to get really good information about nutrition? Because I, I think nutrition is one of those things that just the the society us as a society we're just bombarded with the the mm -hmm. new diet of the day mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and um you know i would probably have them go to um actually what the uh like how dietitians are trained. So there's an organization called the American Academy of um, Dietetics and it's like eat right. Um, and I think even going to their website, um, they've got some good resources and, um, you know, reference articles and toolkits and things like that. I think Aspen is still a fairly good, although that gets into more nutritional support but at least it kind of gives that sense of, of the basis of nutrition and how that plays in with, with health and with disease. Um, otherwise I would say, you know, really, unfortunately, I think it's, there's not like a great textbook or website that I, I, you know, recommend it's more kind of my own compilation of articles and key papers that I know that are in, in the field. Yeah. But, um, but it would that would that's where you would want to try to have some of um, you know an instructor or a attending or a teacher or someone maybe recommend some articles. But definitely, I think even starting with the um, American Academy of Dietetics, um, I think that's a great website where you could see how dietitians are trained and really the evidence behind different dietary practices, nutrition, things like that would be a good start. Yeah, it's it's almost more where not to go versus where to go. Like, it's yeah, not, yes. not Instagram influencers. That's number one. <laughs> exactly. No blogs. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Not the biggest loser. Those kind of things. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> what um, what do you know now that you wish you knew before going into obesity medicine? 
I think the um, the different opportunities and the different um, careers that you can shape with it. Um, I really, I think I didn't appreciate all the different, particularly in education and policy and advocacy um, um, in kind of um, um, population health. Um, I didn't appreciate that, that, that there were that many uh, career paths and, and kind of, um, again, just job descriptions you could build and, and different ways you could really um, practice obesity medicine and be involved in the field. So luckily, you know, if, 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 if that mentor hadn't suggested obesity medicine, I don't know that I actually would have even looked into it because I think it would have, I wouldn't have thought of it as a standalone field. And so I probably would have gone into one of the more established subspecialties or just tried to do it with primary care. So I think knowing that it is a dedicated field and that there are just a tremendous amount of ways to shape your career um, has been great to see to the change since I've been in this field. What do you like the most about it? I think the long-term relationship with patients, I'm one I never um, enjoyed ER because I would, you know, when I was in the emergency room, I would always think about, well, what happened to that patient? Um, I didn't like, you know, just taking care of them once and sending them on their way. Um, I think the long-term care of the patients, I think the the um, kind of the ongoing research and development in this field, the fact that it is new and we still have so much to learn, I think is fascinating. Um, and I think the success stories, the, the when you have patients who have just, I call it the domino effect, you know, they, they make these changes and they start to lose weight, they start to sleep better, their mood improves, their, you know, health improves, um, they can move easier. I mean, these, these kind of really impressive goals. And then these simple goals that they can walk up a flight of stairs without breathing, you know, heavy or having to stop. Um, you know, they start influencing their family members' health and, and just the way they truly do change their quality of life and their health. Um, it, it's, it's awesome to see. It's hard work. And it, mm -hmm. and it certainly, um, you know, doesn't come without some costs and some changes and, and you know, some some blood, sweat, and tears, but it's great to see. And so being a part of that and just, it's very personal and, you know, patients can be very vulnerable and to have them trust you. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. What do you like the least? Probably the challenges, <laughs> um, what we still don't know. Um, and, and I think trying to, um, you know, kind of trying to figure out with the variability in this field, right? So, um, the, the variability to response to treatments is still very high. So I wish I had a better, um, ability to kind of tailor interventions and predict, okay, just by talking with you and taking that history, I know exactly what's going to work just for you. Um, you know, unfortunately there, there's still some, um, a lot of trial and error in terms of, um, dietary changes in terms of what's going to be best medication, you know, do we use a medication? Um, you know, what, what's going to be, um, best in terms of, um, uh, physical activity changes for you. So really making sure I'm, I'm choosing the best treatments and being able to get to that faster for my patients, I think would, would be, would make me happier, but I'm hoping with, uh, 
more research and, and more advancement, we'll be able to to get those answers much faster. Yeah. Speaking of research and advancements, what major changes do you see coming, if any, that that may affect a student's desire to enter this field? Yeah. So I think number one, um, just the uh, idea of um, better uh, kind of with the standardized of training and board certification, I think that we will soon become recognized as a kind of standalone ACGME accredited fellowship because we are not as of now. Um, But I think that's going to be a positive. I think um, the reimbursement and the buy-in from payers and, um, um, you know, even again, other um, clinicians and providers um, is improving policies improving. So I think access to this, this care is going to improve, um, treatments themselves. There's some really exciting work being done with, with different medications, um, different combinations of medications. Um, I think to help patients both with active weight loss and long-term weight loss maintenance. So there'll, there'll be kind of the, the greater depth of, of treatments available as well. Um, so there's some good stuff coming down the pipeline. Are we ever going to get a pill? I'm tired of cooking and eating and cleaning. Are we ever going to get a pill to just say meet my caloric needs? That's the change that I want. I know. Um, you know, I, I never <laughs> say never. I think I think we'll see more um, kind of um, food technology, though. There There is some food technology out there in terms of how do we uh, have the you know, kind of the lowest calorie energy density and yet the most um, satisfying satiety, you know, Mm. kind of um, hunger controlling foods. And, and there, there is actually the technology and the ability to, to modify and develop those. So, so it may not, it may come close, may not be exactly a pill, but (laughs) I I need something that fills me up like a a pound of broccoli, but tastes like pepperoni pizza. That's what I want. Right. I mean, is that too much to ask? I don't think so. Uh, And and comes out like uh, the Jetsons where it just, you push a button and it cooks for you. Exactly. No prep, no fuss. Exactly. Soon. Soon. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a, obesity medicine specialist? Absolutely. Not a doubt in my mind. For the medical student or resident listening to this interested in obesity medicine, what do you recommend they do? Any last words of wisdom? Um, last words of wisdom. I think um, if you've got that interest, just just go with it. Um, you know, kind of dig deep, um, look into the field, do some research, talk to people as much as you can. If you can connect with anyone, any kind of mentor or um, a network or, um, you know, someone um, to just ask your questions and get a little bit more information, uh, go for it. Because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at, again, what this field entails, um, just the complexity of this, the, 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 the depth of this and the opportunities are, are awesome. So if there's a, even a hint of interest, um, check it out and just, and just see what it could turn into. All right. There you have it again, Dr. Jessica Bartfield, obesity medicine specialist talking about her journey and her advice to you. If you want to learn more about obesity medicine, go to obesitymedicine.org or the American Board of Obesity Medicine at ABOM. So a couple places to check out some more about obesity medicine. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. 